So Jesus, asking your name that you would please help us to understand this psalm, help us to live out of your word. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Great to see all of you here. Hey, 11 o'clock, thank you for joining us. Middle schoolers, high schoolers, um, people at home, thanks for, thanks for being part of this. Uh, one of the books I had to read when I was getting my PhD in literature uh, was The Pilgrim's Progress. So it's, a, it's an allegory about the Christian life. And the main character is named, get this, Christian. Right. And he's on a journey from the city of destruction to the celestial city. So you can see the symbolism super hard to figure out, right? But, and along the way, Christian encounters lots of obstacles in his journey of faith, one of which is called the Slew of Despond. And it's, it's a muddy swamp that represents how despondent, sad, depressed, anxious he is about his sins. And I love that phrase, the Slew of Despond. Right? It's so descriptive. I think it'd be fun to use it in conversation sometimes, you know, see how people react. Hey, Scott, how you doing? I'm in the slew of despond. <laughs> Ooh, okay, is that like contagious? Right? All of us, in one way or another, end up in some kind of slew of despond, at least sometimes in our lives. And there's a whole spectrum of feelings that this can cover. Right? Maybe it's grief because of a loss. Or maybe it's just kind of a temporary feeling of anxiety or sadness uh, because of how situational, right? Like things aren't going well at school or at work or with a friend or in a relationship. And so you feel some level of anxiety or sadness or depression. Maybe it's spiritual dryness. God just doesn't seem very real to you. Or maybe it is a deep-seated depression. So there's a whole range of feelings that, that, kind of, that kind of relate to this psalm, right? And it affects all of us, all of us, right? Because you're either feeling that way right now, or you're just coming out of feeling that way, or you're about to start feeling that way, right? Because it happens to all of us. Or, or, I guarantee you, you know somebody who is sad anxious or depressed, and so listen to this sermon to know maybe how to help them out a little bit, because you at least know someone, because it's epidemic. It's everywhere, right? It's everywhere. Suicide is the second leading cause of death for teenagers between the ages of 15 and 19. Let that sink in. So to all the adults in the room, oh my goodness, what are we doing to our teenagers? And what is our culture doing to make that the second leading cause of death and all the pressure they face at school and in social media and all that. And if you are a teenager, the, my hope for you is that this church is a place where all you feel is loved and accepted and feel no pressure on you at all for anything. But it's, it's generalized. It's not just teenagers. It's the whole culture. Life expectancy of Americans has been declining over the last few years. And a lot of it is because of what's called diseases of despair. Suicide, alcoholism, drug addiction. Right? And if you're feeling that way at all, please, please, please talk to someone. One of our pastors, a therapist. If you need recommendations, we can give those to you. Right? But clearly something is going on in our culture that is causing this epidemic of, of sadness, anxiety, depression. Right? And, it's, and, and it's kind of, it's kind of doesn't seem, it's kind of hard to figure out why. Right? Like this is the safest, most prosperous time in all of human history to be alive. Right? Never had so many, had so much, and been so depressed about it. But clearly something is going on that's bringing on this kind of epidemic of sadness, right? And it, and it affects all of us in one way or, or another. The writer of this psalm knows how we feel. And he says this, right? Why, my soul, are you downcast? 
So he's sad. He's, he's depressed. And throughout the Bible, this is not something that just happens to spiritual midgets, okay? It happens to the spiritual giants in Scripture as well. Moses got so depressed, at one point he asked God to kill him. The prophet Jeremiah raised despair to an art form, right? Like it was his spiritual gift. So even spiritual superstars get this. And I think part of it is because there is a devil. There is spiritual warfare. And the more you are living for Jesus, the more he wants to take you out of the game. And a great way to do that is to stick you in the slew of despond, right, somehow. So the psalmist, he's depressed, he's sad, he's anxious. And on top of that, he's spiritually dry. He says to God, why have you abandoned me? So he's lost his sense that God is real. He's lost a sense of God's presence, right? And again, sometimes this happens, this happens to all of us, at least sometimes. And sometimes other Christians aren't super helpful, right? Because they, they don't say the right thing, right? They try to fix you. If you say, oh, I'm kind of sad, right? Then they, try to, then they try to fix you, right? Say things like, well, you're sad. Well, have you prayed in faith, confessed your sins, claimed the promises, pleaded the blood of the lamb, named it, claimed it, rebuked the devil, and thank God for all of your blessings? Have you? Huh, 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 huh? Have you? Have you? Right? All of which is kind of a way of saying, it's your fault, so you better buck up, buddy, in the love of Jesus. <laughs> Not helpful. Not helpful at all, right? It is possible to do everything right. It is possible to do everything right and still end up sad, anxious, depressed, or spiritually dry. And this psalm helps us in two ways. First, because it presents a biblical worldview that corrects our American culture that's making us depressed. And then second, it gives some practical steps out of depression, sadness, anxiety. Whether that's you or someone you know, it can be super helpful for you. All right, so the psalm starts out, As the deer pants for water, so my soul pants for you, my God. And here's what you need to know, okay? This is the most kind of important thing here in the sermon. That word for soul that's translated soul, the original Hebrew word is nephesh. And soul is like a really crappy translation of what nephesh, the Hebrew word, actually means. It means so much more than soul. Because unlike our Western, individualistic culture that says there is no soul, there's just a body, the biblical worldview is that we are physical, relational, emotional, and spiritual beings. Right? And that's what the word nephesh means, all of that, physical relational, emotional, spiritual. And if those four things get out of whack, right, you can end up in the slew of despond. So for instance, the psalmist says, my tears have been my food both day and night. So in other words, I'm not eating, I'm not sleeping. His physical life is all out of whack, right? And that can put you in the slew of despond. Maybe there's some kind of chemical imbalance going on in your body. You need a doctor. You need medication. And there are other things we need physically. There's, you know, there's, there's, there's all kinds of things we need physically. Last week, we looked at a passage where God miraculously provided food for the prophet Elijah. We looked at that last week. Well, right after that story, the evil queen Jezebel ha tries to have him killed. So Elijah runs away, gets depressed, fall, you know, lays down, goes to sleep, because sometimes when you're depressed, like you need to sleep, Right? And then the next thing that happens is, all at once, it says, the text says, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around, and there was some bread and a jar of water. I've always loved this little part of the story, because the angel here is like my wife, right? Because in Chinese culture, food is like the answer to almost everything, right? That's why I love visiting my mother-in-law. She just feeds me all the time, right? Like, here, eat something. It's been 10 minutes since you ate something, right? 
And that's this angel, right? You're depressed. Have a pot sticker. You'll feel better. <laughs> right? Now, this doesn't mean that, you know, we binge eat to cope with our feelings. No, you know, the, the angel here gives Elijah bread, not a bag of Doritos. But it does mean, right, that, that, that if we're not eating right, if we're not sleeping right, if we're not exercising, we will get depressed. And right now you might be thinking, eat right, exercise? This, doesn't, this sermon doesn't sound like a very spiritual sermon to me. Right? This is, what is this, like Dr. Oz or something like that? Well, that's because if it doesn't sound spiritual to you, it's because of our Western, post-enlightenment, Western culture that doesn't understand the biblical worldview of nefesh. I am a physical, relational, emotional, spiritual being. I am all of those things all the time, always. So biblically, whenever we are talking about the physical, we are talking about the spiritual. After all, we serve a God who became one of us, physical flesh, in Jesus, right? A couple weeks ago, I read an interview with a Rwandan man who was talking about how different the Rwandan prescription for depression is from the American prescription for depression. And he said, to get out of depression, you need these things. You need sun, drums, dance, and community. Like this picture right here, right? And this is what he said. This is a quote. He said, we had a lot of trouble with Western mental health workers who came here after the genocide. Their practice did not involve being outside in the sun where you begin to feel better. There was no music or drumming to get your blood flowing again. No sense that everyone had taken the day off so the entire community could come together to try to bring you back to joy. No acknowledgement of depression as in something invasive and external that could actually be cast out again. Instead, they would take people one at a time into these dingy little rooms and have them sit around for an hour and talk about all the bad things that had ever happened to them. We had to ask them to leave. Now, I don't think that means we shouldn't go to a therapist. If we need one, we should. I think this is critiquing a certain kind of therapy. But more than that, it is critiquing our kind of Western American culture, right, that separates out physical, separates physical, social, emotional, spiritual, as though those were four different things instead of one nefesh. The Rwandan worldview is way more holistic and way more biblical. And if you go at 11 o'clock to our upper campus to New Hope Revival and see how much joy is up there, I would argue their way is way more effective than our way. And let that be one more reason on a very long list of reasons to be grateful that out of all the churches in the world, God brought New Hope Revival here. We are so much better together. We are so much better together. We are physical beings. We are also relational beings. The psalmist says, I remember how I used to go to the house of God with shouts of joy among the festive throng. Community, relationship, right? Therefore, I will remember you from the heights of Hermon. So Mount Hermon was way in the north of Israel, far away from Jerusalem, far away from the temple, far away from his community. We don't know why he's living there. Maybe he's been exiled. Maybe he moved there, right? But somehow his worship and his community life have been disrupted. And that can happen to us, too. Our, our worship and community life can get disruptive. Too many Sunday morning soccer games and you can't go to worship. Or if we move to a new city or a 10 a.m. Sunday morning Seahawks game. <laughs> but you all came. So awesome, right? 
We need worship where we sing, where we use our bodies, because we're physical, to praise God. We need the music to move us emotionally. We need to be together. We can look around the room and know I am not alone in this Christian journey. The live stream is awesome for when you can't get here. And please keep watching. But we also need to be together just to see, you know, I, I, I'm not alone. And listening to the sermon podcast, that's awesome, but it will not get you out of the slew of despond. Because we are relational beings and we need human connection. Not Instagram connection, not Snapchat connection, right? Because if all we see are seeing is everyone else's perfect looking Instagram life, right? Because the color palette is just perfect and the lighting and it's all been, you know, edited and photoshopped and all that. If all we are doing is comparing everyone else's perfect photoshopped Instagram life to our real life, no wonder we're depressed. We need human contact to hear each other's highs and lows because we are relational. We are also emotional beings. This psalm talks about how the psalmist is crying day and night, clearly very emotional. And then finally, we are spiritual beings. The psalmist says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God, for the living God. He's thirsty for God, but not God as a set of theological truth claims. Not God is in, I heard an intellectual sermon and I took lots of notes that I'll never look at again, kind of a thing. But the living God that I can feel, that I can experience. I need this, he says, like I need water to survive because we were made for relationship with God. And what that means is that even the best marriage, the best travel, the best finances, the, the being fabulously popular, being the best athlete, got into my dream college, I have this amazing job, my friends are great, I'm doing great at school. There's something in all of that even still that's missing, that we're lacking. And the older we get, the more we start to understand this. I think when you're young, it's easy to think, you know, if I just get into that perfect college of my dreams, right, then, then it will be great. And you get into the college, and it's good, right, but there's still something missing. Or we think, oh, maybe if I just get married, right? If I could just get married, right? And, and I remember one of my students, when I was doing college ministry, one of my students got engaged, and I remember him saying, now all my problems are over. <laughs> and I remember, like, oh, dear God, do I tell him, or do I just <laughs> let him figure it out on his own? The longer we live, the, the more we realize all those other things are great and worth pursuing, but there's still something, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Thank you, Bono, right? We were designed for relationship with God, and if we don't get it, then something's going to be off. We are physical, relational, emotional, spiritual beings, always, all the time, all right here, right? So what we need is a full-fledged physical, relational, emotional, and spiritual strategy for dealing with the slew of despond. And the problem is in our culture, we separate it. It's all physical. You need meds. It's all emotional. You need therapy. It's spiritual. You just need to pray more. We need all of that. We need all of that. And in this psalm, the psalmist does five things that help him step out of the slew of despond. Five kind of practical things to get out of this. And the first is to pray even if you don't feel like it. The psalmist says, I pour out my soul. Remember, soul, nephesh, is, soul is a lame translation for nephesh. I pour out everything I've got. Right? This is a little more than, dear Jesus, help me feel better, amen. Right? And, and, and even though God seems absent to him, even though God doesn't seem real to him, he keeps praying. Right? So if God doesn't seem real to you, pray anyway. If you're sad, tell him. If you're mad, tell him. Right? Uh, as opposed to every other religion on the planet, 
As opposed to every religion on the planet, only the God revealed in Jesus in the Bible gives us permission to be mad at him. And Pastor Tim Keller, who's kind of helped my thinking about this psalm a lot, he says to pray even when we don't feel like it is kind of like opening your eyes in the dark, you know, at night. And at first you can't see anything, but gradually your eyes start to adjust and then you can see. Praying even when we don't feel like it is spiritually opening our eyes in the darkness and gradually we begin to see God again. Second thing is to interrogate your despair. There's a refrain the psalmist uses three times in Psalm 42 and 43. They're one psalm. And the refrain is, why, my soul, are you downcast? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. He says this three times. He's interrogating his despair. Why am I downcast? What's getting me down? Right? Therapy can be super helpful for this. Then next, preach to your heart. Because when we're depressed, every day our heart is talking to us. Oh, things are terrible. It's never going to get better. You're stuck this way. Right? And so three times the psalmist says to himself, put your hope in God. He's preaching to his heart. Because, see, we need to listen to our feelings, to understand our feelings. We need to do that. But at some point, we have to say to our feelings, oh, shut up, you. Shut up, right? Listen here, feelings. I'm the boss here. You're not the boss of me. I'm the boss here, right? Pray, interrogate your despair, preach to your heart. Next, relocate your hope. Three times he says, put your hope in God. And what he kind of does in this psalm is you can kind of see him working through. He goes, you know, he says to himself, why am I sad? Why am I downcast, right? I'm sad because I don't have something that I think I need to be happy. What is that thing? And why is that thing so important to me? And why do I think, why do I give that thing so much power over my joy, right? And, and, and I think this is why God allows us to go through spiritually dry times sometimes, to pry our hands off the things we're clinging to for happiness. And the psalmist has lost some things that made him happy, right? He's living in some town he doesn't want to live in. He doesn't have his community, right? But this is a great chance for the psalmist to ask some questions, right? Was I happy because of my friends or because of God? Was I happy because of my success or because of God? Sadness, spiritual dryness is an opportunity to relocate our hopes to God who will never let us down. So let me give you an example from my own life, which is a little embarrassing to share, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. So sometimes I get worried that I will not be able to live the rest of my life here in the, in the Seattle area. I love living here. Right? There are so many memories here that remind me of God's faithfulness, all my connections and community for the most part here. I love the mountains. I love the water. I even like the rain right? until March, and then I'm done. Right? <laughs> and sometimes I worry, well, well, what will happen Like when I don't have this job anymore? Will I be able to afford to live here? Can I stay here? Right? Now, hopefully that is a long, long time away, but I am not a procrastinator. So let's not put off worry for tomorrow what can be worried about today. Right? It is never too soon to start to worry. Right? So what do I need? I need to pray, right? Whether I feel like it or not. I need to interrogate my despair. Why so downcast, oh my soul? Because you don't want to live in Ritzville? Right? <laughs> Preach to my heart. Listen here, you stupid heart. Listen here, you stupid feelings. I'm the boss of here, right? Not you. Now, the truth is, and then I need to relocate my hope. Right? Now, the truth is, if I don't get to live here, I will be sad. I just will. That will just hurt. But that doesn't mean that God can't give me joy somewhere else. Right? I lived in California, and I had joy there. 
I lived in Atlanta, and I had joy there. I lived in New Jersey, and two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> you know? It's my favorite part of this sermon. Um, <laughs> I wrote that, and I was like, yeah, that's good. Anyway, um, <laughs> now here's the thing. If someone tried, if, someone, if I had to leave here, I couldn't live here, if someone said, oh, you don't worry, it'll be fine, you know, it, you, you won't be sad, I would, that would not comfort me. It wouldn't be true. Yes, I will be sad, thank you very much, for a long time. But my hope is in God who can give me joy anywhere, even if I miss being here. There can still be joy. My hope is in God. See what I did there? I sized the hurt to its proper size. I scaled it down to its proper size. Hurt, it will hurt, but it would hardly be joyless, right? Because in the middle of the night, when I start to worry about this, that becomes a monster. So I have to scale it down to its proper size, which is significantly smaller than God. Pray, interrogate your despair, preach to your heart, relocate your hope. By the way, super helpful to do all this in community with friends. And then finally, remember God's unconditional love for you. In the dead center of this psalm, it says, By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. And in the original Hebrew, the word used for love means God's unconditional, unfailing, steadfast love. In other words, I may feel forsaken, but I am not forsaken by God. And I see this best when I look to Jesus, who is God in the flesh, who just like this psalmist on the cross said, I thirst. And he meant physical thirst, but also the cosmic thirst that comes from being separated from God as God poured out on him all the punishment for every sin everywhere in all times. And Jesus experienced that in my place so that if I just say I need him and admit I need his forgiveness, I may feel deserted, but I will never be deserted by God because Jesus said, I will never, never forsake you because he was forsaken in our place so that we never would be. And when the psalmist remembers that, and connects to that love, unconditional love, he can end his psalm by saying, I will yet praise him. He doesn't say, I'm praising him now. That wouldn't be true. He doesn't say, I'll never praise him. That would be despair. He says, I will praise him. I can feel myself starting to come out of this sadness. The place I learned this best and clearest was when I was a college pastor in California. And there's a student in my college group who was severely depressed and she was an alcoholic. And like a lot of teenagers, felt a lot of pressure on her from parents and peers to succeed and achieve and perform. And it all got so bad, this depression got so bad that one morning she showed up at my doorstep at 5 a.m. suicidal. So I drove her to the hospital and I stayed with her all day and that began a process where the doctors tried all kinds of different medications for months and months, all these different meds, and her body just simply wouldn't absorb the medication. And she was also in therapy at the time, but that was going nowhere. So then I started to think, well, maybe it's more than just physical and emotional. Maybe it's that, but maybe it's also spiritual. So I got together a group of Presbyterians to form a prayer team for her, a group of Pentecostal Presbyterians, I should say, who would pray with vigor, right? And they prayed with her regularly. They prayed that she would experience God's love. Prayed that the command of the devil out of her life. Prayed that God would restore her to her original design. And then gradually, over the course of several months, her body began to absorb the medication. She started having breakthroughs in her therapy. Once we added that prayer piece, things started to move. 
However, the alcohol was still a problem. Well, then she decided to go to Italy for a study abroad program. And I said, no, 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 no. An alcoholic in Italy definitely contraindicated, right? Like, no, bad combo, right? And one of my staff said, well, Scott, do, do we believe that God can heal her even in Italy? And I thought, no. <laughs> no, I don't believe that at all, right? But before she left, her friends gave her a Bible, and her friends made a CD of worship songs. And one night in Italy, instead of going out drinking, she stayed in and listened to the CD of worship songs all night. And then the next night, she did the same thing. And then the next night, and the next, and pretty soon, she started to thirst for God more than she thirsted for alcohol. And she stopped drinking in Italy. That's a miracle. And I want to read to you a part of the letter she wrote to me when she got back. This is what she wrote to me. She said, while I was in Italy, I faced the challenge of partying, but I didn't go out at night. Instead, I stayed home. Just me and my heavenly father, I could feel his love for me. It was at that point that I could honestly say that God became my best friend. I've been a Christian since I was seven, but it took hitting rock bottom, seeing fear for me in my friend's eyes, and living my life worshiping alcohol and depression to make me believe in my heart what my head had known for so long. I'm not perfect, and I never will be this side of heaven, but I'm learning to see myself as God sees me. I actually like myself now. A few weeks after she got back from Italy, she shared her story with our college group as a testimony to what God had done. And before all of this, if you had told me that not only would she stop drinking, but be able to share her story with 250 of her peers, I'd have said that'd be a miracle. And she would have laughed because she was so bound by shame and anxiety and depression. But God healed her body, mind, and soul. It took the physical remedy of the medication. It took the emotional remedy of therapy. It took the relational remedy of strong community around her. And it took the spiritual remedy of prayer. All four. It took them all. But God healed her. All of her. So, where are you anxious? sad, depressed, or who do you know that is in that shape? Will you pray? Interrogate the despair, right? Preach to your heart. Relocate your hope. And above all, remember God's reckless, relentless, never-ending, never-giving-up-on-you love for you. And connect with him. And over time, God will heal you, not just part of you. God will heal you. All of you, body, heart, mind, and soul. Amen. 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 Right now, we'd like to actually just give you a little bit of time to connect with God. So the band is going gonna, is gonna to play a song. And as they're playing, just to invite you for the first part of the song, just to pray, maybe for yourself. Um, maybe it's for someone you know. And maybe you can carry their burden to God for them on their behalf. And just spend the first part just praying, reflecting, thinking, and then we're going to sing together because we're physical beings. And when we lift our voices to God, when we lift our hands to God, it's a little hard for us not to also simultaneously lift our hearts to God.